Let me see you put them up. Reach the skies, touch the stars up above. Cause it's one time for the underdog. One time for the underdog. Look, I don't know about you, but I love food. I love me some real good food. And today I had a chance to sit down with celebrity chef Curtis Stone, who's had as many, many different reality TV shows. Even one time he was with Donald Trump on The Apprentice. And we got a little technical today about the restaurant side. I asked him, I said, is there any madness behind chefs? Is that true? Is it just a myth? What does it cost to run a business like yours? Because he's got multiple restaurants in Beverly Hills, LA, super, super successful. So he breaks down the business side, as well as some stories about chefs that may not shock you or, but will entertain you. Curtis Stone, brother. Good to see you, Thank you for making the time to get together with us, AKA the quiet terminator <laughs> is what you're known for, right? So I'm always looking at restaurants that I go to, I pay attention to how they treat you, menus, how they set it mm. up, the different like seasons 52 in Dallas, they do, you know, uh, uh, every three months they change as the season changes, the menu changes, and then you have the typical ones that you go to. So I wanna go into customer service, customer experience, but before, before doing that, why don't you first Tell us about the two restaurants you have right now in LA with Maud and Gwyn and the story behind it. Sure. So Maud was the first one I opened. It's about nearly five years ago now. I took a little break from restaurants actually. I worked my whole life as a young chef in great restaurants. I moved to Europe and worked there for 10 years or so. And then I got asked to do a TV show and then I write a book and then another TV show. And it just got too crazy to do restaurants and, and that as well. So I sort of, I took five years off and I missed it. You know, restaurants are scrappy professions you know like the to run a restaurant is a really difficult I bet it's a difficult job and it's also very hard to stay afloat it's hard to make money it's hard to break even in the restaurant world but there was something I loved about it and something I craved it you know just as a part of my life I missed it so I decided to open my first one which was Maud five years ago and it was a tiny little place and I thought if I'm gonna spend that much time in in one little building I want it to feel special to me, so I sort of started thinking about all the things that were special in my life. My grandma was one of those things. She uh, she was one of the first people that ever got me interested in food. Your grandma um, did? My grandma H did, How yeah. old were you at the time when you were interested? I was probably five. Yeah, what, I was that young. early? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Really young. She was from Yorkshire, the northern part of England, and she used to make this delicious sugary fudge. All kids like something sweet, right? And um, I was no exception. So I used to go to her house and I'd be like, Grandma, is there fudge in the fridge? And if there wasn't, we'd make it together. So that was sort of my very first time in the kitchen was with her. And she was a good old duck, my granny. She taught me how to play tennis. She taught me how to play cards. She was, she was very funny and she was a big influence on me. Wow, so, Grandma. Yeah. So I decided to name the restaurant after her. She was also the most religious one in our family. So I thought if anyone can help me from up there, it's her. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I named it after her and then- um, now, now she moved from uh, UK to Australia? She or? did, okay. yeah. Yeah, she moved when she was young, five or six uh, years old. So so she grew up as an Aussie, but she always had like a tiny bit of an English accent, which was, which Interesting. was fun. And then we're sitting in Gwen right now. This is the second restaurant. This is a joint venture with my brother actually. So we sort of had spoken about doing something together for a long time and we decided we'd eventually do something. I convinced him to move his family over here to Los Angeles and uh, we said well you know what's what's something we love and we sort of got talking about that and we wanted to open a European style butcher shop 
with a fine dining restaurant off the back of it. And we were talking and talking and we were like, you know, well, we can't we can't only represent one side of the family, we have to do both. So Gwen was my other, um, she was my nan, my other granny. And um, yeah, so here we are in- So um, no one's upset, but both that's sides, right. you're representing somebody. That's right. That's interesting, okay. So now, having said that, your brother is now partners with you on this one. You got Mod mm -hmm. going on as well. So, Celebrity Apprentice, when you did that, how was that entire experience for you? Was that the first time when it was kind of coming up for you? Were you making a name for yourself nationally? Or had you already been established prior to that? It was a funny time for me, to be honest with you. It was um, just after the GFC. I went, I moved to America to do a TV show. I did a few of them. I wrote a few books. Uh, and then I'd, so I'd sort of built a business. I had half a dozen employees. Well, not half a dozen, but three or four. Here or in, here, a, here here in the US. Okay, got yeah. it. And then the GFC hit and all my commercial partners disappeared. And I didn't have a TV show at that time. I'd just finished a show and they were about to commission a new one. And then that sort of got put on the back burner. So I was suddenly unemployed, but with the staff. Right, it's the worst way to be unemployed. <laughs> no customers, no revenue. But you got to pay salary. Right, and and um, right, you got to you got to pay everyone. And um, I got asked to do Celebrity Apprentice the year prior, and I, I turned it down because I, you know, I'm a chef. You know, why would I be on The Apprentice? But the next time I got asked, I was like, you know what, I've got to do something. You know, business is bad. Uh, I've got to try and rekindle things a little bit. So I decided to do it, but I was very skeptical. I wasn't looking forward to it. Um, I got up there to New York and I found out who the other people were and it, they were all mad. Brett Michaels, Cindy Lauper, Sharon Osborne, Bogoyevich, the governor who's now in prison from um, Illinois. You know, and I walked into this room and I thought to myself, I'm the only normal person in here. Uh, and I was thinking, what a mistake. But you know, we started the show and then of course you meet Trump and you start the show and he literally gives you a, he gives you a game right and as adults i didn't have kids at that time when you have kids you get to play again but as adults you don't get to play games very often interesting right yeah so we played a game with a bunch of nut jobs every single day <laughs> and it was so fun i was there for over a month and i really enjoyed it you wow. know it was it was the, you know the way these people's brains work very creative and it was very interesting so who was the most interesting character i mean brett michaels was just a fascinating yes. dude and i got along really well with him and i didn't really expect to you know bill goldberg was another guy he was he was in there the the ex-wrestler we got along well i work out with him he'd slap me around here and there so now, was, how big is he is he actually like really is he he's as a big, big as dude a, yeah. yeah he's a big dude and he's strong you know like we'd go into the gym together and he'd lift four times what I could lift. It was, it was fun working out with him. And then how was Trump with that whole experience? Because this is pre-presidency, there's no <laughs> politics. It's just regular celebrity Trump. Trump was like a very interesting character. Right? Even then, like so it, it doesn't yeah, matter. I yeah, I mean, when someone's not saying I want to be the president of the country, then you have no, you know, like you don't mind having crazy people in your world. You don't mind having someone <laughs> that's, you know, loose and this big personality like he is. So I enjoyed him while I was on the show. I don't know if he should have put his hand up to become the president of the country, but hey, he did. But you know, while on the show, I didn't have a lot to do with him, to be honest, but um, he likes things done his way and he's, you know, he's got opinions on stuff. But yeah, it was, was, was a fascinating experience. I can see him being a control guy, like everything's gotta be under right. control the way he wants it. Okay, when you start a restaurant, you've done two of them, and one of the things I like about where you're at, you, you've had experience, you said in Europe, you worked there for five years, I think some number you said where mm -hmm. you served yep. so you Almost know the 10. customers in Europe are different than the customers in America, than the customers in Australia. Some of the culture 
is different. The treatment I get in South America, or if I go to Colombia, or if I go to, you know, uh, Middle East, Qatar, or Dubai, I'm going to get different than I do in U.S. or Europe for whatever reason. Right. There's a different approach to it. But when you look at customer service and customer experience, and you have worked as a person behind closed doors, and you have mm -hmm. worked as your own restaurant that's representing your grandmother. I mean, these are people that mean a lot to you, so you want to protect those names. What is on your mind to give me, the customer, whoever that's coming in, a good customer service and a good customer experience? The thing I say to everyone is, when you open the doors to your restaurant, you're really opening up an extension of your home and inviting people in. So you have to treat them like they're coming into your home because in a way they are and in a way you, you get to know your team members so well you really do become a family we, we sit down every day and we eat dinner together we call it family meal really yeah every day every day well they're here all day the cooks the cooks get here in the morning and they're here until midnight you know the least we can do is cook them dinner uh, and we eat just before the guests arrive so we eat at like four o'clock they'll be downstairs now probably having their uh, having their dinner before you know because we then cook until midnight right so it's um but when you open your doors, you really need to greet people the same way that you would greet them in your home. And so it wouldn't be stiff, it wouldn't be awkward, it wouldn't be like, good evening, you know, it wouldn't be unnatural. You'd, you'd, be, you'd welcome them, right? And then as they come in, you try and imagine that you're, they're your friends and you take care of them in the best way that you can. Where it gets tricky is guests come in and they all want something different. Some people want you to talk to them a lot and entertain them a little bit and tell them the story of the dishes and other people really want to be left alone so they Got can it. enjoy the company of their um, companions so sometimes it's romance happening sometimes it's a business meeting so you then have to be a good reader of someone right you need to be able to quickly tap into what these customers want and then to be able to try and communicate that to the rest of your team so that we're all on the same page interesting and sometimes you get it wrong most of the time hopefully we get it right but occasionally you'll you'll read someone and you'll think okay they want us to leave them alone they don't want us to interrupt them all night long but then you know you'll read a Yelp review, or occasionally you'll get an email that sort of says, you know, we didn't get the same service that we were seeing other other tables get. So once in a while you get it wrong, but I think for the most part, um, if you're good at your job, you, you you can get it pretty right. So the four o'clock dinner that you guys do, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the day? Or are you talking to them? Or are you talking about preparation? Are you talking about mindset? Are you re-reminding about what this what we stand for? It's just relationship thing. What is that about? We actually, we don't do any work during our dinner. So what we do is we, we put it out, everyone comes and gets a plate, doesn't matter who you are, if you're a dishwasher or you're a chef, or you, we, we all sit down together. That's just a time to connect with one another. And I love seeing the cook sitting with the front of house and the, the kitchen porters working with, you know, the maitre d's. And I like to see mixed tables because then you're all connecting with one another. Because if you care about each other, you'll back each other up, right? You'll, you'll become a really good teammate. Then what we do is we have what we call a pre-service or a pre-shift. So just before the guests arrive, we then all we come up into this room actually and we, we stand together and then we run through our night. So we talk about what guests are coming in. We keep notes on our guests. So when guests dine with us, we'll keep a history on like them. Like a B-back, if a B-back's coming back. Right, exactly. So what do you say about that? Like you say, tonight we have the Johnson family coming here. Exactly. Then what do you say after that? We'll say what they drank last time they were in. You know, maybe she was a lover of white burgundy or talk about what water preferences they have. They preferred still or sparkling. Just so we're specific sort of- details. Specific details. Specific details about the guests. Do you adjust your waiter or waitress to the customer? or it doesn't matter. If I'm sectioned off, this is section A, B, C, D, no matter what, if I sit in A, I'm getting A, which is Christine. 
or if I am always good with Larry, you give me Larry even if I'm sitting in section eight. We'll have certain regular guests that we know what they like. They might like to sit in a certain section of the restaurant or they might like Got a particular it. server that they've had in the past. So we will try and- So even that detail, yeah. interesting. And then we run through a variety of things like, you know, on certain nights you'll have guests arrive in a big pack. So between seven and 7.15, you 15. might have 30 guests coming through the front door. So we'll sort of help prepare our team for that. When that's coming, this is how we're gonna handle it. We've gotta get some of those checks in as quickly as we can mm -hmm. so that they don't come all at once to the kitchen because then everyone's waiting for their food. So we try and structure the evening in as best way as we can. You always get caught out, you know, you, you've got to be ready because sometimes you'll you'll plan it out, you'll stagger the night so everyone's arriving at different times and then the first 10 guests all arrive late and the, the 10 guests after the 10 guests in the middle arrive early and suddenly you've got 30 people are through the door again. So, you know, there's ways that you can try and mitigate that. You know, because if, if you do the math, it's quite, a, it's quite a difficult task, right? Let's say 30 people get ordered into the kitchen within five minutes, which can happen. Mm -hmm. And that's only four or five tables, right? There's a server up here, there's a server down there, there's a couple downstairs. They're not all seeing what everybody else is doing and then they all hit the computer at the same time and put the checks in. So I get 30 covers at once in the kitchen. If it takes me 30 seconds per plate, and it doesn't, it takes me longer, but if it took me, that means that the last person waits 15 minutes for his starter, for his appetizer. Wow. It's too long, yep. right? So we've got to somehow figure out how those checks come into the kitchen, how quickly we can move How do you do that? What is the, what is the you know, secret behind that, the it's, secret sauce? It's communication. It's no different than playing a sport, and I say this to everyone all the time. If you look at a good soccer player, he's running down the field and he's got control of the ball, but he's looking at, at, he's looking at what's going on. He's not looking at the ball mm -hmm. as he kicks it, mm -hmm. right? because you have to be a part of a team. It's the exact same thing in a restaurant. If you're a captain or if you're the one taking the order, you need to be doing your job, but also keeping your peripheral vision totally open and seeing what he's doing and seeing what he's doing and asking a quick question, run downstairs and just, you know, I noticed a bunch of people came in at once up here. I wonder if it's the same down there. So you sort of, that those lines of communication need to be really wide open. Interesting. So what is the, and by the way, we're gonna come back to the soccer uh, point you made, analogy you made. So, the difference between Maud and the difference between Gwyn. Yep. What? Because that's not the same product base. The philosophy is different. The story is different, right? Mm -hmm. So, what? What is the biggest difference between those two restaurants? So, Maud is. I, I hate saying it's a special occasion restaurant because I want people to feel like they can come regularly, and we do have a bunch of regulars down there. Uh, but it's a type of experience we serve nine or ten courses per menu um, we change the menu four times a year it always revolves around a wine region we four use times a year and i heard you used to do it once a month for once five a month. years that's which right is yeah. insanity it really was crazy but it was good fun because we we're constantly having to develop and challenge ourselves. and imagine on the first of the month you implement a new menu right it takes a few days to get everybody knowing exactly what they're supposed to be doing and then you've got a couple of weeks to develop the new menu because you've got to present it yep. to the wine team so they can taste it and then choose the wine. They've got a special order wine and buy stuff at auction and get it all together in time for the new menu, which starts on the it's first of the next one. So That's it was the pressures. It was Insane. crazy, yeah. yeah. And now now I'm taking the whole team to the wine region. We went, we learned, we ate, we drank, we examined the culture, and then we sort of try and bring all of those influences back and make a cohesive 10 course tasting menu. Um, so yeah, it's good fun, you know, like the guys that work down there really love it. 
it's detailed. So the food's really detailed. It's elevated. We put lots of effort into each plate that we do. It sounds easy, right? A 24-seat restaurant. We turn those tables. So we, we actually do 48 covers a night. And because we serve 10 courses, it means that that 48 covers by the 10 dishes, that's 480 plates of food that have to leave a kitchen within a three or four hour window. <laughs> and we also pour wines to pair. So it also means that we pour 480 wines that night, which means that we wash 480 glasses, we polish 480 glasses, we restock those 480 glasses back into the shelf so that they can be marked different shaped flutes, different shaped um, stemware for every single wine that we pour. That detail is something that you're either attracted to or you think it's too fussy, you know, like we, we try and keep it as light and, and um, we call it fine dining without all the fluff because we try not to talk down to our guests, we try to make it a fun experience, but it is still, a, you know, people will sit down, they're there for a few hours. So that's that, and then this model here with Gwen? This model here is built solely around the butcher shop. So we have the best protein from anywhere in the world. We buy Wagyu beef from Australia, we have grass-fed lamb um, coming from Northern California, we buy grain-fed beef from the middle of the country. So we spend it, we buy game from Scotland when it's in season. So we really try and focus on the, this, this incredible protein. Um, and then our attitude towards it is uh, fire. So we, we, we sort of, we sat around and we're like, what do we want this to be? And what we came up with was primitive elegance. And primitive is the way we cook it, right? So, uh, but we want to serve it with real elegance. And to me, you can think about all the technology that you can use in a kitchen, but if you cook a steak over a fire and the embers are just right and you've cooked it over the right kind of wood and you've got that hint of smokiness, I know we've been doing it for centuries, but it's so incredible when you get it right. And that's that's what we try to do. Well, I agree with you on my end as the eater, you know, I, I want to make sure you get it right. So, <laughs> okay. So now let's talk a little bit more about, you know, team, team base. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when I look at, you said soccer, right? Okay. So a, a good team that wins a championship, you know, they won the World Cup. You, you got a coach, you got offense, you got defense, you got a goalie. In the restaurant world, mm -hmm. if, and I know the typical answer is, well, it's a team environment, this is who's the most important, everybody's important, and I know that's the political, politically right answer to give, right. that you want to not undermine anybody in the restaurant. But if I am an investor, yep. and I'm saying, look, I want to, like the other day I'm talking to a restaurant in Dallas, it's called Texas de Brazil, uh -huh. and it's Brazilian steakhouse, but Texas, they do a great job, and I asked the owner, what does it cost to do something with you? He says, we just did one in Houston, $7 million. This is how it is. Here's how the investors come. This is how much it costs. He showed me the entire math behind it. Right. Great. But if I have the money and you and I team up together and it's yeah. your money and my money mm -hmm. and you're not thinking like the chef right now, you're thinking like the business person because you've been all over it. Who plays the most important role to put my money around? In basketball, you could say you got to build around a center. You got to build around a shooting guard, a point guard. You got to build a team around a solid goalie or a coach and to attract the players. I want to play for a coach. In the restaurant world, from your experience, who's number one? And, and I, don't want, I don't want the politically correct answer. <laughs> How I give I'm it really to curious to know who is the most important thing to put your money behind. I've just got to check my brothers downstairs because he's my older brother and he's the maitre d', right? So he runs the front of house, I run the back of house. Look, in my humble opinion, and it's not because I'm a chef, but it's because I've been in the industry for as long as I've been in it. The chef is the most important person because at the end of the day, the service is super important. And the, the answer to the question is there's a variety of ways to do it. But in my opinion, 
if the chef doesn't really believe in what he's doing, then the food won't taste great. And do you go out for dinner for service or do you go out for dinner for food? The answer's both, right? But you will go somewhere where the food's incredible, even if the service isn't great. But if the food's horrible and the service is amazing, you won't go because you're like, well, I, you know, I love you guys and I like being here and the atmosphere, the ambiance is all right, but the food's disgusting. You're not gonna keep coming back. I also come from a culture of chef-driven restaurants where the chef is always the center of the restaurant. And if the chef suddenly isn't that person, you know, if the chef's just an employee, I've only ever worked for an owner operator mm -hmm. um, and I'm one myself, you know, and I often talk about Australian rules football because we have, a, you know, the old school of Aussie rules, AFL, the coach played. He was a captain coach and he was, he was a playing coach, right? So it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, you don't see it very often. I love it because tonight I'll be down there and I won't be wandering around the dining room. I'll be on a section, which in some ways I'm sure the guests would rather I came and touched each table and spoke to everyone and took some photos and signed some cookbooks and whatever. But I would rather them see me behind the grill sweating my ass off and working really hard because I know what it does for my team. My team, I always say, your job's only as good as how you can describe it to your mate while you're in the pub having a beer. All right, and if my team are in the pub yeah. having a beer with a friend of theirs, and they're like, "What's it like working for Curtis?" and they're like, "You know what? He's in the kitchen. He works a section. He's faster than anyone else. He's clean. He's this. He's that." The person opposite them is like, "Are you kidding me? He's in the kitchen?" You know, like that's to me that's really important. Very so, interesting point you're making there. Of course, it means that you can't have ten restaurants because otherwise you're screwed. That's what I'm thinking, especially <laughs> like so. What I'm, I'm thinking about the. the the two different types of restaurant, like it's almost like you have two different philosophies. Like you have to be able to go in and, and treat that one in a little bit different way than this. Yet it's the same thing. Uh, okay, so so in, I run an insurance company. Yep. And we have five thousand five hundred insurance agents in forty nine states, and mm -hmm. we sell life insurance annuities and retirement product. We started off with one office in Northridge. Now we're in a, a, a nationwide in forty nine states. My processing initially, when I was growing from being a sales guy to a sales manager, to a business owner, to a CEO was who is number one? Is the customer number one or is the agent number one? We agreed that for us, the agent who sells insurance policies late at night at midnight, like you're cooking till midnight, just chef, mm -hmm. your priority. So I'm, I'm in agreement with chef being number one. Then number two for me, it comes to the clients, then it becomes partners and all that other stuff. If number one is the chef, who's two, who's three in your world? I think the interesting thing about a team is it only, because when I analyze my philosophy a little deeper, right, is it really for me? Am I so good that I'm so important to the restaurant? And mm -hmm. I don't think the answer is yes. I think the answer is if, if I behave like that, then my chef de cuisine will behave like that or my executive chef down at Maud will behave like that, which means their sous chef will also mm -hmm. behave like that. And then you build that culture. So to me, the culture is the most important thing. Is it built around a person or is it something unto Fair itself? Enough. Interesting, you know? so the environment and the culture. The environment and the culture is so important because you know, we have another saying in our business that together we're limitless, but if we're not together, we don't get the sure, result, you need teamwork. right? You need that teamwork yep. and you, it's, it's like a chain. As soon as there's a link broken, you, you're finished. The customer in the restaurant business is absolutely always right in their own mind. But we have to make sure that we do what we can for it because the system of the restaurant doesn't always agree with that, right? You come in for dinner tonight and you're like, I want my steak well done, please. 
I don't want to cook your steak well done because I know it's going to dry your steak out. It's not going to be the best eating experience. But how do I tell you I can't do that? Because then you say, but that's how I like it. And then I have to say through a server or a captain or a waiter, whoever it is, they have to say to you, we disagree with you or we're just not prepared to do it. You actually would say that? We do. Really? We do. Yeah, we do. So how do you say it to me? Like if I say, you know, chef's preference, our chef's preference is medium rare. Mm-hmm. I say I like it well done. Right. So what would your waiter say to me? We say, look, the way we like to cook the steak, because we buy it from a certain farm, it's been served a certain thing, it's been, you know, it's, it's this kind of breed, it's this kind of feed, it's been aged for a certain amount of time, we dry age our beef as well, which means that it's not as juicy, but it has way more flavor which again is, is another choice that you make. So we, we sort of explain a little bit about the steak and we say chef really likes to cook the steak medium rare because that's the best eating quality. Nine times out of 10 people go on that journey, but if someone's like, I don't want it that way, we'll then suggest something else. You know, what's, you know if you like that kind of steak, what we do really well, what we can do really well for you is this, 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 this. So this. you may make me a recommendation on a different route. That's right. To get what, I, so you're still, so you're not disagreeing. You're maybe saying, you may want to consider doing this instead of this. That's right. That's fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. I mean, obviously, you can't please everybody. You can't, and that, you know, like that's the thing. And like I said before, everybody wants something a little bit differently, right? Like some people, um, some people love a boisterous, loud restaurant and a really friendly waiter, and other people don't want that. They want it to be quiet and romantic, and they also want the waiter to be, you know, they want their water filled up, but they don't want to see the guy pour it. And that's okay. Like everybody's entitled to their own opinion, and we've so many we've, sensitivities. We've you got know? to dance that dance. Yeah. So Mario would tell you, if I go to a restaurant, I am extremely sensitive, and I pay attention to so many details. So if I go to a cheesecake and yep. I'm going there because my kids want to go for a cheesecake, my expectation of service is zero. Just yeah. the food, boom, gone. Eighty dollars for four people. I'm good to go, right? Sure. But if I'm going to a legit restaurant, I yeah. have high expectations, right? And that's how I am. And I think some of the customers may, may be that you know, if I'm coming with money, I'm a successful guy. I make a lot of money. I'm not coming here for you, not to. So is the expectation that high always? It has to be. It has to be. It has to be for us. Now, whether everybody wants it or even understands it or appreciates it, doesn't matter. We just have to be, we have to have our standards super high. So that another thing we say in here is never be ashamed of having high standards. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. You should be proud of it. And you see our guys over there, we have towels that come into the kitchen. They come in a big bag and we could just empty them into a towel bin and grab one. But we don't. We fold them. We fold the towels. We Everybody gets a little stack of towels that before we start down. service. Yeah. Okay. Because I think if you have a system in place for, for everything, mm-hmm. then you get used to there being a system in place. Mm-hmm. The system can't be, I don't know, I'm not sure. Mm. It's over there. You know, like it's, there has to be a system. Yeah. So then when somebody asks you a question like, where does the salt go? There's an answer to that. Not just chuck it down there or I don't know, just put it in the corner. No, there's a, there's a place for it. It has to live somewhere so we all know where to go to get salt. So I got a follow-up question for you. So <clears throat> movies have done a very great job uh, uh, presenting chefs as very normal, nice people behind closed doors. Obviously, I'm being very sarcastic, right? <laughs> Who, what was the name of the movie with Bradley Cooper, which was absolutely... Burnt. 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 Okay, and then you have the other one with John Favreau, chef. the chef, right, where the critic comes and eventually they become partners. So, you know, you're in front of the camera. Right. If we turn the cameras around and you're behind the camera, is Curtis Stone in the kitchen or behind closed doors? Or maybe some other ones. Is there an element of craziness behind the creativity of a chef. Oh, there has to be. Okay. Yeah, if there's not, you're not good at your job. I'm with you, yeah, yeah. I'm agreeing with you. So I wanna, I, by the way, 
in a crazy way, I want to believe there is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I want to believe there is. I want right. to believe that the guy running the show behind the whole thing is such a perfectionist, you know, high expectation that delivers a great product for me. But you're saying, yes, there is. Yeah, no, there is. I mean, I worked for a guy named Marco Pierre White. That's who Gordon Ramsay spent a lot of time mm -hmm. with as, as a young chef. And Marco was probably, you know, he's famous for being the most intense, one mm -hmm. of the craziest, mm -hmm. the loudest. He just drove and drove and drove. And, you know, people would tell stories about Marco and they'd be like, how could he do that? Or, you know, were you there when that, all this stuff went on? And I was like, I loved it. I thrived in it because to me, that passion and that energy was exactly that's why I went. You know, you don't go to you don't go to play for Manchester United and you, they don't say, "Excuse me, do you mind? Would you do five push-ups for me, please?" They're like, "Get down and do that." You know, like they push you hard, they train you hard, and they make you good. You know, so there's a reason for everything, right? There's a reason to work in a great restaurant. There's also a reason to go up the road and work in a cafe, and maybe that reasons the conditions or the easy life or the the lack, you know, not too intense. You come work somewhere intense because you want intensity, you know. So and that's what that's what we are. So so now you're married. Right, yeah. so you married a person that we used to watch from 9021 as a Lindsay, as a, a, <laughs> That's Lindsay right, yeah. Price. Because to us it's 90210, and I grew up in that era. You know, we grew up watching 90210. I remember. What was the other one? 90210, Melrose Place, right? Melrose Place That's came right. after 90210. So now you're married, and you, 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 you said you have kids, right? <laughs> so you have kids, you have family. At one point you were doing this, and you weren't married, you don't have kids, and you said you're gonna be till 12 o'clock tonight. Right. So I run a business and I work some crazy hours, yeah. right? So what did you and your wife have to talk about for there to be understanding to know, look, this is my life, like this is what I do. Right. Was that a conversation you guys had prior to, you know, wanting to build a family together for her to know that your life's gonna be a little bit of craziness? Absolutely, and it has to be an agreement. You know, it has to be, it has to be a decision that you come to together. And I don't think you can have an ego in it, you know, we, because I, wasn't in the restaurant business. I met her before I was in the restaurant business. I mean, obviously I'd worked my whole life in restaurants, but I met her in that break when I was doing the television break, and whatever. You know, I sat down with her and I was like, look, I, I, I want to do it, but here's what it means. You know, like it's, it's not like I'm going to do an appearance somewhere yeah. and I won't be home till tomorrow. It's like night after night after night, it's, it's a different lifestyle. And she was really supportive of it. And she sort of said, you know, look, she's an artist and she, she's an actor. And she, she said, I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself if I told you you couldn't do what you want to do because I want to do what I want to do too, artistically, and I want you to support me as well. So um, we walked into it together and, you know, under the understanding that it wouldn't be forever. I'm not going to be in the restaurant business when I'm 70 years old. I, you know, like... I've got a finite amount of time to do it and I want to do it and I want to do it to the best of my ability and we, we remind each other often of that conversation. <laughs> when I say we remind each other, I occasionally remind her of that conversation. That's cool. Well, that's at least you're being sincere and authentic about it. You know? But so. you know what? When she calls me and she says, hey, listen, there's a pilot. I'm going for it. If you say yes, but if I get the job, I shoot in Austin. Are you in? And I've never said no. And I don't know how we do it, and you know, and she's like, "But how?" And I'm like, "Don't worry about how. We'll figure it out. Figure we'll, it out. we'll do it." You know, Got you want to you want to take that job in Toronto? I'm in. And meanwhile, I'm like, "Please take the job in Toronto." So it's a two way highway. Both of you guys are working with each other on that. Okay, yeah. so uh, let's talk about the money part. Like, I'm always curious. Uh, I did a video the other day. I said, "Why uh, we pay sixty dollars for a ten dollars steak?" Right. Yeah. 
So, you know, and I make my point behind why we pay $60 for a $10 steak. I can buy it from the same place and they get it from here. And I have a friend who owns Rafi's Place. And I don't know if you're familiar with Rafi's Place in Glendale, sure. the Mediterranean, you know, Middle Eastern restaurant. Yeah, great. And they do very well. And so I'm just fascinated by everything with the business aspect of restaurants. Not that I'm trying to get into it. I'm just really curious uh, about it. So on the business side of it, how do you figure out pricing? Like, you know, you sit there and you say, is, is it something where it's, we paid uh, uh, $25 for this, whatever it is. Okay, so our margins have to be 40%. So if this is 25, I have to sell it for 75. And that 50 I have in here, out of that 50, 35 of it is gonna cover our entire cost. 15 is gonna be profit. Is there, is there a whole math behind there is score absolutely. footage. This is what I'm paying. So you, there is a math behind it as well. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it, and it's real simple. Your food cost should be somewhere in the vicinity of thirty percent, meaning your GP is mm -hmm, seventy, mm -hmm. right? So your food cost should be there. Your labour should be somewhere around thirty-five to forty. You quickly at seventy. Yeah. Your cam costs are going to be somewhere around fifteen percent. Wow, you're dealing with a fifth. 15% cam cost. So, you, you know, it depends where you are, right? Like we have one restaurant in Beverly Hills and the other one's on Sunset yeah. Boulevard in Hollywood. You, you've got expensive rent and um, and you also have to try and figure out how much you're going to spend and then how you amortize those costs back. Um, so if you, you know, you spend five million, you mentioned seven million bucks yeah. before about your yeah. friend's restaurant. If you spend seven million bucks on something, you have to figure out, well, what's the lifespan of this restaurant, you know, conservatively? Is it 10 years? Is it 30 years? Is it five years? You know, like I don't want to invest in something that yeah. I think is going to be around 30 yeah. years because there ain't many of them that make it. So mm. 10 so years is good. That, by the way, how do you think? Because as an investor, a guy came up to me the other day and, and he says, Ezekiel Elliott, the running back of Cowboys, I'm in Dallas. He wants to open up a restaurant and they're looking for this deal. It's $6 million. Do you want to come in for $2 million? So I'm like, okay. Then in my mind, before I even said yes, no, or let me look at the numbers, first thing I said, I said, you know what? How many specialty restaurants are around? I'm not talking about Capital Grill. I'm not talking about Ruth Chris. I'm not talking about, you know, the, like even a Crustaceans that's a on family and the story mm -hmm. they have behind it or Maestro's. I'm talking about how many restaurants you see that's a one-off comes and gone in right. four years. What happened to my $6 million or $2 million I put in? So the math behind it, are investors going in knowing, like, do you sell it as, this is gonna be a five-year restaurant. In the next five years, your two million is gonna probably make you three and a half million dollars, so I'm giving you a 75% return in five years if we do this. Does, does it go into count like that? Or? It, it usually does. Restaurants are way too personal for me, so I don't have any investors. It's all my money. I made that decision early on, and we, we took a small bite with the small restaurants, 1,200 square feet. More. By the way, few people do that, you're, so you, Very you're, few. you're not common. No, you, yeah. you'd be surprised. Virtually none, for a good reason. I, yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. You know, to me, it was so important to get it right and to give such a great product. I never wanted to have to sit at a table with a bunch wow. of people and say, I promised you something and now I'm going to renege on it. You know, so to me, it was always, it, it was way more personal. Different businesses, sure, I'd take on partners, but for the restaurant business, no. So, that you, so you make me, just so you know, when I come here, you make me, in my mind, think about that how important is it going to be for you to come through 100% because this is your name on the line, your money on the line. Right. This isn't if, hey, I just lost 600,000, you're going to lose a yeah. lot of it. Okay. And restaurants turn over a fair bit of money. You know, we turn over a lot of money, but like I just went through it with mm -hmm. you and, and that's, the, uh, that's the optimum goal. 
Fine dining restaurants, they can get to 35, 37% food cost. Your labor can get to 45, 50% labor. And then you quickly say, you ain't got a lot left, Shoot. right? So then you have your cam costs. They're always going to be around yeah. 15% as long as you did your deals properly and you keep your revenue strong. So like, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing left, mm -hmm. you know? So, um, You've got to be uh, you've got to be crafty. You've got to be scrappy in this business, or you don't make it. Are you counting that as well? Are you counting the bar part oh, yeah, of it as well? So absolutely. that's part of the whole 30, 35, and yeah. fifteen. Interesting. Okay. So last but not least, couple of fun questions here for you. Yourself with restaurants. Mm -hmm. You, I'm assuming you don't just eat here, right? You're going to go to other places. Oh, for anyway. sure. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of things. One, what do you look for? Two, who do you like today? So let's start off with what do you look for? You go into a restaurant, you've got to be very critical. The other day I'm in Breckenridge last week. We're snowing yep. and ski, uh, snowboard. I'm trying to snowboard, my wife is skiing. And this lady sitting next to us with her husband, I start talking to them and I said, what do you do? She says, I'm a dentist. Okay, right. I said, that's cool. I said, do you look at everybody? And when you look at them, you automatically go like this. She says, I hate to say it, I do. I said, so what do you look for? Do you look for it being off? She says, no, I just look for it to see the color of it. Is that right? Yeah, that's what she said. I'm like, that's interesting. So you look at the color of the teeth as a dentist. Yourself, <laughs> you go to a restaurant, you've been on the front end, back end, financing, what are you looking for? Look, it depends where I am. We went skiing in Mammoth with our kids and I don't know anyone up there. I don't know any of the chefs. I don't know any of the restaurants. So you sort of, you do, you wander around. In some ways, I sort of think, okay, I'm in a ski resort. What kind of chefs? Like, it's hard for me to get great chefs here in LA that want to come work for me. I have no idea how hard it is to be up in a ski field where you do very little business for nine months of the year or six months of the year, and then you get slammed. And point. Then, you know, like that, that to me is going to be really difficult to run that operation. So I sort of look for something that is a little foolproof, you know, like a steakhouse is a good example. It's not that hard to fry some potatoes and cook a nice steak. But if you go somewhere that's doing a uh, slowly cooked rabbit with a blah, 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 you know, because us as chefs, we get a little um, above ourselves sometimes and we try and do more than we should. So I always try and pull it back and, you know, I, I, even in a place, you can go to a restaurant and they can have all this stuff, some of it exotic. If I look around and I'm like, yeah, this is a pretty simple joint. I'm going to have a steak and a couple of sides. Right, so, so do you find yourself being more understanding? Like, let's just say your wife says, I cannot believe they took such a long time and this doesn't take... Do you find yourself being more understanding? Like, Babe, listen, you don't know what happened. Maybe it, or are you more critical? Because, <laughs> so where do you find yourself being? No, I'm pretty easy going. Okay, I'm, Yeah, Got like I'm, I'm, Interesting. Uh, I understand the business. So I'm it. like, you know, someone asked me, your table's not quite ready. It's going to be 10 minutes. I'm like, sweet, we'll get a drink at the bar. Wow, so you're more understanding than yeah. you are on the opposite side. For sure. That's amazing because our mode from Rafi's place is the same way. Yeah. And he over tips always. He never tips 20%. You know, he says, you don't know what these guys go through. I'm always a 30% to 50% tip guy. Wow. That he gets. I can't even believe him. He says, because him I, I, yeah, <laughs> I should send him over here. Armand, if you're watching this, you got to come and eat over here at Mott and at uh, Quinn's. So uh, last but not least, your restaurants, what do you look for? You know, you go to a restaurant. Like, what's your favorite restaurants right now that maybe you've been to that you say, these guys deliver? You know, I was just in um, San Francisco. I went to Dominique Crenn's restaurant, Atelier Crenn. I've got to say, I think it's the best restaurant in the country. She's really? such a talented chef. Beautiful food, very feminine. The way she plates is amazing. The, everything tasted fantastic. I was really blown away. There's experimental chefs like Grant Atchett's in Chicago that just blow my mind with their creativity. Daniel Hume from 11 Madison Park. You know, they're, again, they're all chef-driven restaurants. They're chefs that have toiled away in the kitchen for most of their life and they love it. They Their craft is to turn ingredients into something mm. that just tastes fantastic. 
Very, so do you trust the Michelins? Like, do you go and you... I do. You do trust Michelin? I think it's a very, very um, well put together guide. It has real credibility in the way that they inspect the restaurants. So if the Michelin guide's looking at something that's in contention for two or three stars, they'll visit it five times over a 12-month period by different inspectors. They'll all write a paper on it, and then at the end of the year, they sit around, the, the, the inspectors sit around, they read the papers, um, and they, they talk about how it should be rated. To me, that's very fair. You know, if, you, if you're totally determined, your fate's totally determined by one critic, that critic might have a little thing about this or that that he likes or dis dislikes or she likes or dislikes. So, And through my experience of traveling the world and eating in different restaurants, usually if it has a Michelin star, it's good. If it has two Michelin stars, it. it's really good. So you trust it. That's good yeah. to know that you even in your world, you're banking on that as well. And what project are you working on right now? If people want to see what project you're on, you know, what shows you're working on, what next things that are coming up, what are some things you're working on right now? I've got a show um, called Top Chef Junior which is the top chef, of course, uh, that we all know and love from Bravo. We've done a new one for Universal Kids, so that's, uh, that's there on Universal Kids. I've got a line of kitchenware that we developed, you know, great pots and pans nice. and, you know, interesting stuff that make your life a bit easier in the kitchen. What's it called? It's called um, Durapan is the name of the cookware, mm -hmm. and then the Curtis Stone line is the, uh, the rest of it. Uh, and we sell that at HSN, so you can go and check out the whole assortment there. Nice. Very cool. Well, brother, appreciate you letting us come nice here and out with you, getting an experience on the You gotta stick around now and have dinner. I would love to. I came earlier, I said, I want to try the food before I talk to Curtis. And I talked to your hostess, I said, listen, can I order from the dinner menu? He says, no, sir, we can't do that. We, uh, this we is only, I'm like, come the fires. on, I'm, I'm looking sorry. at the meat. I said, give me that bone and ribeye right there. <laughs> I was in love with it, right? He says, I said, I'll come back and do it another time. I'll respect the restaurant. And, I'm uh, sorry. Maybe you, another time. It takes us a couple of hours to light the fire. That's and get exactly why up. I said I'm not even going to push it. I said I said I'm 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 coming back because I want to go to Maud because she was telling me about how Maud is set up. I'm really curious about that and yeah. this. So I'm I'm giving you a commitment. I'm in LA all the time. I'm gonna come back and I'll let you know. I'm awesome. in town. Hopefully, Please I'll do. get a chance to come by and say hello again, brother. Appreciate you. Thank no you. Worries. Thanks everybody for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bid David, and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.